So Father God, we just thank you for giving us good leaders. We just thank you for equipping Justin in the many ways that you have to love on and to reach students on campus and to love on this body here. And we just thank you for the example that he is of godly leadership. And we ask now that you would empower him to teach us from your word, that you would anoint his, his heart, his mind, his tongue um, to share with us the word that you have for us. So we thank you for him. We ask that as we are blessed by his teaching today, that you would in turn bless him as he shares from your word. So Jesus, we love you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. My arm? Yeah, it's good. Good morning, church. Good morning, church. Uh, happy Mother's Day to all the mothers out here. Just thank you so much for the super valuable uh, love that you show to your kids. Is an expression of the love that God has for them. It's really, really uh, needed and pertinent in their lives. So thank you for, for doing that and being that. Um, I've got a school up here. I might sit down at some point. Uh, <laughs> I hurt my back on Friday, so I'm going to try to stand as long as I can. But uh, if I sit down, it's not because I'm like tired of you or something. You're not engaging. It's me. It's, it's my fault. So uh, don't let that be a distraction to you. Uh, but yeah, like, like Evan said, my name is Justin. Uh, I'm an elder here at Common Ground. Uh, I do college ministry with college students at the School of Mines here in Rapid City. And um, I'm just really excited to bring the word today uh, with, with Philemon. Um, when I saw that we were going through this series through Philemon, uh, Titus, and Jude, I was really excited because these are some of my favorite books of the Bible, probably because they're some of the shortest books of the Bible. Um, they're really easy to just sit down and read or sit down and listen to the whole thing and get all the context and get some really good stuff out of them. And uh, Philemon in particular, I remember doing a uh, a Bible reading plan years and years ago where you're supposed to read through every book of the Bible five times, five to seven times. And Philemon is, I think, the one I started with. And because it's one of the shortest, you start with the shortest and you go to the longest. Um, I didn't even make it close to through all of the Bible, um, the books of the Bible like that. But I went through Philemon and uh, that was really enjoyable. And uh, since that point, it's been one of my favorite books of the Bible because uh, Philemon is one of these books that Paul does not, is I think maybe the only book where Paul does not explicitly share the gospel as what it is, but he says a lot of things that you can read and imply the gospel through. And I like that a lot because I think that's what our lives are like. We can hear the gospel explicitly, we can maybe state what it is, but when we're living our day-to-day -day lives, it's really hard sometimes to know uh, what, what that looks like. And the book of Philemon is just a bunch of examples of people living out the gospel. And so that's what we're going to be talking about today. Specifically, we'll be talking about the relationship between Philemon and Onesimus, uh, the slave who ran away from Philemon, potentially stole things from him, um, certainly robbed him of the, the time of being uh, servant to him. Uh, and so we've talked at length about a lot of the, uh, the context of Philemon. We've talked about who Onesimus is, we've talked about this, this church, it's the church of Colossae that uh, Philemon is a part of. And uh, so I'm not going to go into a ton of context over Philemon, I think that's already been done really well by Pastor Evan. Um, I'm going to riff on a little bit of what he spoke about last week, uh, a little bit later. 
Um, but what we're going to be doing today as we look through the book of Philemon is look at Paul's uh, charge to Philemon, and we're going to look at um, some of the context of the authority to which Paul um, begins to appeal to, and then he kind of he goes in different directions. So we're going to talk about that first direction he starts down, and then the second direction he ends up going, and see how that, how that applies to us. So, uh, if you're a note taker, um, well, I guess let me start. If you're not a note taker, congratulations. Today's the day. You can start being a note taker today. Uh, that would be, be really good. Um, and so, if you're taking notes, if you got your notebook out or if you have your phone out, I won't be offended. I'll assume that you're taking notes and not texting or looking at something else. Uh, you can write down this is kind of what I think is, is the main point of what we're going to be looking at today. Um, is that forgiveness is the, the main ingredient of the gospel. It's the primary ingredient of the gospel. So you're taking notes, you can write that down. Really simple. Forgiveness is the main ingredient of the gospel. Okay. Uh, we might be able to argue that the gospel contains other things, but man, forgiveness is the big part of that. I, I saw you, you wrote that down. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> a little flourish at the end, right? Right into his mind. <laughs> Um, and so we're going to be talking about that at length, uh, but first I want to share a little bit of a story, the start of a story uh, for you, um, to sort of illustrate this in my own life, and then I want to kind of hear from you as to whether or not this has been true for you as well. Um, so pretty shortly after I joined the staff at Campus Ventures, uh, we were in Powell, Wyoming, which is a super tiny town in northwest Wyoming, near Cody, Yellowstone. And uh, it was me and my director, my boss at the time, Seth, uh, my coworker, Tyler, and a student of ours uh, at the time, his name was Cole. And we were traveling back from Cody. We were doing a Bible study fellowship thing together. We're coming back from Cody to Powell. Uh, it's like a 30 minute car ride. And I, I honestly cannot remember what we were joking about. I think it had something to do, we were like pontificating whether you could pray for somebody's salvation, like in the past, and since God's like outside of time, and He could like answer that prayer, and it was just really we were going down some like deep rabbit holes and some crazy stuff. And uh, Tyler said something. I don't remember what he said, um, but said my boss and his bo boss uh, said something to him that was kind of sarcastic, uh, that hurt his feelings. And everybody immediately could kind of tell in the car, right? The, the atmosphere changed from from laughing and. Having a good time too. It was awkward, and there was some tension. Everybody could feel it, and it was like that for what felt like forever for me. I I hate conflict. I just I try to like. I was ready to jump out of the car <laughs> because I hate it. I don't want to be around it. It wasn't even me. I wasn't the guy who did the offending or was offended. I just wanted to leave on behalf of Tyler. Um, but we just sat in it, sat in it for a little while, and before we pulled up uh, to my house, I remember Seth. Very awkwardly, it's just like, hey, hey, Tyler, you know, I kind of feel like maybe what I said hurt you, hurt your feelings. Is that true? And Tyler very awkwardly said, yeah, I kind of hurt what you said. I didn't like that. It was even more awkward. Now it's like we're at 100% awkward capacity right now. Uh, and I'm just ready to bail. Uh, but I'm, I'm, I'm waiting. I want to see what it is that Seth's going to do. And I think about that story, and I think about what would happen, because these are my coworkers, and my friends, and a guy that I really looked up to, actually two guys that I really looked up to, 
and another student that they were trying to teach and mentor. And I think about what would have happened if that story, if that offense had gone on unresolved for like days and weeks and years. And what does that communicate about these four people in the car who all claim to be Christians, all one of the representatives of the good news of Jesus, the gospel? And if the gospel, the primary ingredient of the gospel is forgiveness, then something needed to happen in that car that night in order for that to be really true for us and our lives. And so now I want to turn it back to you. We'll the end of the story later. Uh, but I want to turn it to you and see. Uh, let's think about last week. So Pastor Evan talked about how the book of Philemon, Paul opens up. And just in those first um, three verses, the first, first two really, uh, he introduces the church as these four different kinds of things. You guys remember that? So the church are people who are beloved friends. They are like our um, co-workers. They are like our family, siblings, parents. And they're like fellow soldiers, okay? So just for a few seconds, I want you to think in your own life of those categories of your own. Friends, coworkers, family members. Has there ever been a situation where there was conflict that just flamed up and there was a need for resolution? Raise your hands if that's ever happened in at least those three or four. Or you've seen it or you've been affected by it by even somebody else. Raise your hands, really, cheers to get it. Okay, look around. This is everybody. This isn't everybody problem, okay? We all sin, right? We all, we all cause conflict. And even if somehow, I mean, I know this isn't true, but even if somehow you didn't sin, there are people around you who do, and that affects your life. Uh, that affects, it affects me. Uh, this situation in this car, even though it was between two guys, it affected everyone in that car. Had it gone on unresolved, it would have affected a lot more things, uh, too. And so everyone in this room, we, we see this as a problem. And you have caused conflict in somebody else's life. Someone else has caused conflict in your life. We all need forgiveness, and we need the ability to extend uh, forgiveness. And, and that really, I think, is the primary ingredient of the gospel. And I think it's really key to a lot of what Paul is trying to teach by the end. Um, so we're going to look at that today because thankfully, even though we're all the problem, uh, God doesn't leave us without a solution, and his solutions, I think, always are grounded in his word. So let's go to the book of Philemon, and let's read that together. Uh, let's just read the whole thing, because we can't, it's nice and short, and uh, then we'll go through and I'll, I'll tap on some things and um, see if I can make us all really uncomfortable by the end of our time here today. All right, so the book of Philemon, uh, there's only one chapter, so <laughs> verse 1. From Paul, a prisoner of Messiah Jesus, and from Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved and fellow worker, to Aphia, our sister, to Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the community that meets in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Messiah Jesus. I thank my God always when mentioning you in my prayers, Philemon, hearing of your love and the trust you have toward the Lord Jesus and all the saints. May the fellowship of your faith become effective with the recognition of all the good that is ours in the Son. For I have received much joy and comfort in your love, brother, 
because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Therefore, though I have plenty of bold, boldness in Messiah to order you to do what's right, yet for love's sake, I appeal to you instead. I, Paul, an old man, and now also a prisoner belonging to Messiah Jesus, I beg you for my child Onesimus, for whom I became a spiritual father while in chains. He once was useless to you, but now is useful both to you and to me. I sent him back to you, and he is my very heart. I really wanted to keep him with me, so that on your behalf he might serve me while I am in chains for the good news. But I didn't want to do anything without your consent, so that your goodness wouldn't be by force, but by free will. For perhaps he was separated from you for a while, in order that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but even more so to you, both in flesh and in the Lord. So, if you consider me a partner, welcome him, as you would welcome him. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will repay it. Not to mention that you owe me your very self. Yes, brother, let me have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Having confidence in your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than what I say. At the same time, also prepare a guest room for me, for I hope that through your prayers, I'll be given back to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Messiah Jesus, greets you. So do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. May the grace of our Lord Jesus be with your spirit. Amen. Okay, so there are some things in there. Uh, there's, there's too many for me to even go through right now. I play this game with my name and with our students called Find the Gospel. And I encourage them to read it through like 10 times and just find different versions, different iterations of the gospel being played out. I encourage you to do that on your own time at some point. Uh, but we're going to go through and look at a few things that I want to touch on. Uh, and so the first thing is, is the way that Paul talks to Philemon. I don't think Paul is sucking up to Philemon. I don't think he has like any reason to do that. Uh, Paul is the guy in authority over Philemon. Um, but he speaks to Philemon. I don't, I don't think he's just blowing sunshine at him either. He's really honoring to Philemon. And I think the very first thing he says is, is good things about Philemon. But I've seen good things in you. I've heard good things about you. I know that you are following Jesus, and you're, you're doing it the right way. Okay, so the first thing Paul is doing before issuing any kind of challenge is saying, hey, you're, you're following Jesus. You, you get this. And so I just want to reflect that by saying, if you're in this room and you're a follower of Jesus, like, you have the Holy Spirit, and you have this capacity in you, and that's awesome. That's really great. You need to know that first and foremost before you come into uh, the next part of <laughs> what we're going to talk about. Because uh, it's very, very important. We can't do the next part if we don't have that first part. Uh, so then secondly, uh, and in fact, he says, therefore, in verse 8. So he says, here's all this good stuff. This is, this is what you're doing. This is who you are. Therefore, so because of that, because of who you are, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Uh, and he says this thing that I think is really interesting. He says, though I have plenty of boldness in Christ or in Messiah to order you to do what's right. 
strikes me, right? Like, Paul, if you can do that, that seems really easy. Why don't you just do that? And sometimes the question comes in, uh, well, what is, what is he talking about? What, what would he be ordering Philemon to do with an SMS? Um, what is it that he's referencing here? What's this, what's this appeal to authority that he's drawing uh, Philemon's attention to? Uh, and so I want to talk about that. So I think, I think what we're talking about here in this relationship of Philemon and Onesimus, what needs to happen for this relationship to be righted is, is forgiveness. And I think we can fairly say forgiveness needs to happen on both sides. Like probably Philemon, Philemon needs to forgive Onesimus. Potentially Onesimus stole stuff from Philemon. I think there's pretty good reason to believe that. So there needs to be forgiveness there. Um, but also, Onesimus was a slave to Philemon. And I don't imagine that Philemon was a Christian the entire time that he owned Onesimus. So there's probably some hurt that Onesimus experienced that he rightfully deserves or, or could ask for forgiveness back from Philemon. Uh, and so there's, there's a situation here of, of brokenness on both sides. I think that's typically how it works, right? You guys ever been in a situation where you were like 100% perfectly not in the wrong? Rare. <laughs> Usually there's at least some element to which we're at fault, right? And I think that's exactly what Paul is talking about here. And so if forgiveness is that primary ingredient of the gospel, well, how do we how do we come to that conclusion, right? Where does that where does that come from? Where is Paul coming from? And I would say that Paul's authority, he says it's in Jesus. What is he talking about? I think he's talking about the teaching. Of Jesus. And if you just go into like your, your Bible app, you type in the word forgiveness, you're going to find all sorts of things in the Gospels, you're going to find all sorts of things in the New Testament. And so uh, what I want to do is go back to the book of Matthew. Uh, we're going to look at two examples of Jesus' teaching and see the authority that Paul is appealing to um, before we look at the, the route that he took. Okay? So go with me um, to Matthew chapter 5. Uh, if you will. This is the Sermon on the Mount. So this is Jesus, and he's teaching his disciples. He's got a lot of new ones at this point. And he's teaching them what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Um, he's showing them what it looks like to be someone who is living in a safe light. Um, and he has some pretty like, hard things to, to hear in these, and, and this, I think, is one of them. So if you go to uh, verses 23 and 24, Jesus is teaching about anger uh, right before this. And naturally, if you're going to teach about anger, uh, people have all experienced being angry. People do stuff when they're angry. Uh, he needs to then teach about forgiveness, about what God is saying. And he says something pretty, pretty radical here. So look at, look at verse uh, 23, Matthew 5, 23. Jesus says, if you are presenting your offering upon the altar, so you're going to worship. So kind of the equivalent of coming to church or opening up your Bible in the morning to read and talk to Jesus. So it says, if you're presenting your offering upon the altar and there you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled with your brother. Then, come and present the offering. Okay? So, really quick, what I want you to do is turn to your neighbor, or if you look at a group of three people, I want you to talk to each other, and then you're going to share with the whole group, uh, if I call them. Uh, 
Why does God do that? Why is this so uh, important to him that we're made right with our brother before we come and offer a gift to him? Does that make sense? We should talk about that. So turn to your neighbor and, uh, and discuss that. See if you can find an answer about that. I'll give you a couple minutes. You can talk about it. You don't have to change. So here's some thoughts. What do you guys think? Why, why is this a big deal to God? church and you're thinking about someone that you're mad at, everybody else is sitting around you, you're like, oh, yeah, right. <laughs> um, so to yeah, what else? If you realize that you've offended someone, 
You're the initiative taker, okay? So everyone turn to your neighbor and say, I am the initiator. Say it. You can say it with like an almost more uh, impression. I am the initiator. So when, when you've offended, you're the initiator. When I've offended, I'm the initiator. I go make this right between me and my brother. Uh, before I go to church, or before I crack my Bible in the morning, uh, X, Y, Z, right? Before I do any sort of act of worship, that's what it needs to look like. To have clear and short accounts of everyone around me. Okay, maybe I've made you uncomfortable, and if I haven't, just buckle your seatbelts, because we're going to keep going. Let's look at uh, Matthew 18. Uh, here's another teaching of Jesus. This is quite a bit later, and disciples have had a lot of time to think about the things that he's taught, uh, to consider the things that he said. Um, and if we look at uh, this, this whole section is really interesting because it talks a lot about um, lost people coming to find him, and the uh, beauty that is in that. Uh, but shortly after that, uh, chapter 18, verse 15, Matthew 18, 15, Jesus gives us this kind of um, checklist to go through in a situation where, um, where, where I've been offended by someone else, and someone else is sinning against me. Let's see what he says. Now, if your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault while you're with him alone. Okay? One on one. If he does not listen, take with you one or two more, so that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may stand. But if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the community. And if he refuses to listen even to the Messiah's community, let him be to you as a pagan and a tax collector. Which does not mean that you treat him unlovingly. It means that you treat him as though he doesn't understand the grace of Jesus. Because he's not willing to be putting himself into a position of, of asking for forgiveness. It means he doesn't understand the gospel. That's, that's really um, scary, what, what Jesus is saying. If you want to be scared even more, you'll read uh, the, the next part after that, starting in verse 21, going down. Um, Peter comes up and says to Jesus, hey, okay, I get it, forgiveness, I got you. My brother sinned against me. How many times did I do that, though? Right? Like, I get that you want me to do that, but there's got to be a limit, right? Seven times, is that, is that good? Is that a nice, generous amount? You guys probably know this, right? Jesus says, no, not seven. How about 70 times seven? Which is a whole lot. I don't even know if you can keep, keep telling that long. It's pretty crazy. So again, in this scenario, Jesus says, uh, when your brother sins against you, you also are the initiator. So turn to your neighbor and say, I am the initiator. Okay, so we have two situations here. I am the one who committed the offense. What do I do? Initiate forgiveness. Okay. I am the one who's been offended against. What do I do? Is there any other option? There's nothing. Those are the two options. I am either the offended or I'm the offender. And in both scenarios, Jesus said, you initiate, your initiative. You go and try to make things right with your brother. He does not promise it's going to go well. Okay? It could get really awkward, like it did in that car ride. Probably will, actually. He wasn't promising comfort or perfection, but he said, that's what you do. 
And if we're going to be ministers of the gospel, which, which Paul says we all are, we've all we've been given the ministry of reconciliation. Reconciliation can't happen without forgiveness. That's, that's who we are. Then we need, to, we need to plumb the depths of the grace that's been shown to us. And if we're really honest with ourselves, we'll say, hey, if, you know, God isn't comparing me to everyone in this room, thankfully. As, as far as it pertains to me, in this room, I am the chief of sinners. Because he doesn't do that. He doesn't put us all on different hidden pedestals and, and compare. He just compares you with, with Jesus. And if Jesus is perfect, and you've sinned even once, it means that we don't, we don't measure up. But the gospel, the good news, is that even though we don't measure up, Jesus did, and that Jesus gives us his life. If we'll, we'll just accept it. We'll just trust him and repent of our way of life and trust in his way of life. He gives us his salvation. And so then, whenever Jesus looks at us, he doesn't see me anymore or me compared to you anymore. He just sees Jesus. He just sees Christ. And that's good enough. That's really good news. And so if I get that, if I spend time really thinking about that and understanding how deep the grace is that Jesus had to show for me, I think what that does to my heart is it makes it a lot more soft and open and willing to turn to somebody else who's wronged me, maybe very egregiously, and say, I'm willing to forgive you. What you've done to me is not worse than what I've done to God. And God was the ultimate initiator. Right? You just turned and said that you're an initiator. Where'd that come from? It came from Jesus. Before we could even think to be sorry about sin or to ask for help or forgiveness, Jesus came, he lived a life that we wouldn't, and then he died a death that should be mine. He, he took on that sin and that punishment for us. He died, and then he rose again. He conquered it. And he gives that to you and to me. That's really, really good news. It's really exciting. What that means is he's, he's calling us into something very, very high and lofty. So I just want to tell you, Second um, Peter 1, verses 3 and 4, uh, Peter tells the people, hey, the divine power that God has is because of that divine power that he has given to you everything that you need for life and godliness, including the ability to forgive someone who's hurt you. It's already in you. Because Jesus and his Holy Spirit live inside of you, and they're the originators of all this grace and forgiveness that they have. And so the way that I see it is we can go from here. I think there's three different uh, three different options for everyone in this room. Okay. Uh, the first would be for anybody who has not yet bowed their knee to Jesus, who has not yet begun following Jesus. Telling you right now, the good news is that you can have your sin paid for. You can have the life that you've been living that has been working for you traded in uh, for one that's, that's beautiful and good and perfect, and that's Jesus' life. And all you have to do is give up your old life and trust Jesus for your salvation. He'll give you a new one. He promises to. And that's really exciting. So if you're a non-believer in here, if you're not following Jesus yet, that's, that's the only way that you can make a next step. 
is by, by bowing your knee to Jesus and saying, God, you're going to be my king. I'm going to let you call the shots now. It's not really working for me the way I've been doing it. The second option is we maybe have some people in here who, while I've been speaking, uh, a few names or a name has been coming to your mind of like, oh yeah, I've got beef with them. Or, oh man, they've got beef with me. And uh, we all just said it, right? I'm the initiator in that situation. Uh, I can't tell you how many Christians I've talked to who will say, oh yeah, I'm like totally ready to forgive them. I'm just waiting for them to come and like say that they're sorry and then I'm, I'm ready. I'm gonna, I'm like, I'm there. Sorry, we don't have that option. <laughs> and so I think one direction for us is just to see that and say, all right, that's enough for me. I'm just gonna go ahead and do it. The third option is uh, that we, we see these two sides and we know that we can be on either side of them. And we know that in either situation, offender, offended, that I'm willing to take initiative to go and ask and seek forgiveness or reconciliation. And that sometimes is really, really challenging. Sometimes it's because of pride. Sometimes it's because of hurt. People have done horrendous things to one another. People have probably done horrendous things to you. And so please hear me when I say I'm not making light of that at all. Something that's funny or something to just brush under the rug. Okay? That's not what forgiveness means. However, everything that's been done to you has been done equally to God or, or more. And if He is willing to forgive them of sin, then, then you need to be too. And if your heart is having a hard time getting to that point, I think what you need to do is the same thing that Paul encouraged my women to do. Consider who you are, who lives in you, who has given you forgiveness first, and think about where your heart's at. So that when you do this, when you extend forgiveness to this person who's hurt you, who's slighted you, who's affected you, you'll do it from a place of love and free will, not from a place of being forced or pigeonholed into doing it. And so that's, that's my same appeal to you as that of Paul to you, is refresh one another's hearts in Christ. Forgive one another. When I was in that car, thankfully, my boss asked the other question, right? And then he took it one step further and he said, well, Tyler, I'm, I'm really sorry that I did that. I, I, wasn't, I don't want to hurt you. I love you. Will you, will you forgive me for hurting you? And the awkward dial went even further. I didn't even know it would go any higher, and it did. We sat there for, again, what seemed like an eternity, and finally Tyler said, yeah, yeah, I will. I won't forgive you. And as a early 20s-year-old man, I think that was the first time I had ever really seen someone put this into practice. I'd actually do it. I'd seen people say sorry before, and I'd seen people, like, like you know, I've, I'm a sibling, so I've been forced to, like, sit in front of my sibling. I'm sorry. I'm not, but I just got to say it so I can get on with my next thing. I, I'd seen all of that stuff growing up. I had myself experienced um, toxic people in my life, which just meant that I didn't really like them, and so I would just, like, bail out on my friendship with them and never really talk to them again, but left things unresolved for a long time. This is the first time I really saw people, like, committed to living the way that Jesus said that we should. 
so I was amazed, even though it kind of seemed like a small and silly thing. I don't think that it was small or silly. I think it was beautiful. And I think what it did was it changed my, my mind, it changed my attitude about asking for forgiveness. I got to see someone do it right in front of me. And I realized that I need to do that for the people too. And um, it very imperfectly, been trying to do that ever since that point. But it took me seeing someone else doing it to really understand what it looked like. And to realize that, man, it's just going to be awkward no matter what. It was awkward even after Tyler forgot the set. <laughs> but, uh, but not forever. And their relationship was strengthened because of it. And our ministry was strengthened because of it. And the witness of what it means to be a follower of Jesus and representative of the gospel was strengthened because of it. Not only to me, but to the student that we were ministering to. And so, so my appeal is just the same thing to you, that, uh, that you all would do that. And uh, that, that together we would see this really change the, the fabric of our relationships. Right. I want you to think about that for a second. If you would just like close your eyes for a little bit, just imagine this. Um, imagine if, if you personally just made the commitment today that every, um, every relationship that's been broken, as, as daunting as a task as that might seem, um, that you you would just pray and ask the Lord to give you the strength that, that he has put inside of you to go and ask for forgiveness or to go and just communicate honestly that you've been, you've been hurt but that you want to make the relationship right again. What would your life look like if you did that with everybody whose name has come up uh, to your mind now? What kind of friendships would that heal? Would that ease tension at work? Would that make uh, Thanksgiving dinners a little less um, awkward and tense if everyone in your family was doing this? I mean, think, think if you did it. Now think if like everyone in this room did it. What if everyone in this room forgave one another took initiative, sought initiative to extend forgiveness and to communicate hurt and offense and, and be willing to reconcile and right those relationships. What would that do um, with, with this whole church? What would that do with all of our friendships? What would that do with all of the people that we work with? What kind of an impact would that have on, on Rapid City? I think one of the number one things that people complain about Christians is that they're hypocrites and that they they uh, they don't do what they what they preach and, and honestly I think that forgiveness is like a really great place to start the family of the gospel and so if if imagining that world where everybody who's a Christian really did forgive one another and sought after forgiveness. Um, I, I hope that that brings you some sort of excitement, some sort of buy-in to do it yourself. <laughs> um, but otherwise, let me just, let me just pray, and, and we, can be, uh, we can be finished here. Jesus, I thank you for your word. As challenging as it is, and the standard that you set is so unbelievably high, it's very difficult uh, to know exactly how we're going to do that. And God, sometimes we struggle because there's all different kinds of situations in here. We don't really know exactly how this is going to look from, from time to time with different people. And I just 
thank you for this book of Philemon, where we get to see, even though your gospel isn't stated explicitly, it is lived out implicitly in the writing of Paul and the things that he wants to do, the way he sends back Onesimus, the response he asks for in Philemon. And would you just give us the confidence that if we are committed to following you, things that you taught, the person that you call us to be, uh, that we will see you work. We'll see that in our own lives. That if we're committed to the principle of being people who are forgiving and being people who are forgiven, that it'll really change the, the fabric, not only of this church, but of the, the church as a whole. That we can be great examples to people of your forgiveness. So God, I just pray that we would all do that from, from a place of our own hearts. That our hearts would be geared and looking at, at you and your example and the grace and the forgiveness that you've extended to us. And we would understand that that's the primary ingredient uh, for the gospel being real in other people's lives. So we'll just step out and do it. And so, God, I pray for everybody in here who is um, who's shackled by unforgiveness. It feels like they're a prisoner to it or like they just can't get over it. I just pray that your Holy Spirit would break that right now. That we see clearly with, with your eyes what that's doing for them. And that we would all live totally new, totally free, with your Holy Spirit and your forgiveness and your love exercising, changing the lives we put around us. For that in the name of Jesus.